I don't know. I sent you a picture. I'm not sure if that made the cut, but of him. It did. And he looked super engaged. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like, remembering exactly what he was looking at, but that picture is in the blog post and he looked like enraptured with whatever he was doing. He is, he is gutting a stuffed cod with like a wooden knife. And it's interestingly the second time in our travels that he has had the occasion to gut a stuffed cod. He did it in Nova Scotia too, several years ago. So he knows all how, about it. How many 10 year olds can say that? <laughs> right. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures. Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, we have back on the show Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial and Boxy Colonial on the Road, and she's going to give us part two of her epic RV trip to Newfoundland. Um, in the first episode, she gave us all kinds of pre-planning tips. She talked about how to do the ferry, how to bring your dogs across on the ferry, and she got into Western uh, Newfoundland, and she talked about Grossmore National Park. It was an incredible episode if you're ever going to plan a trip to this wonderful Canadian province. Today, she's going to pick up where she left off. We're going to talk about central Newfoundland, and then we're going to head east to the amazing city of St. John's and beyond. And I just want to dive right in because we've got a whole lot of content for you here today. So we're going to have Gretchen come on the show in a second. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals, but their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Camco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVATLAS10. Hello, Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial and Boxy Colonial on the road. Thank you for coming back for part two. I'm super excited for this one. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to talk more about Newfoundland. Oh, awesome. So on the first episode of this two-part series, you gave us some invaluable pre-trip planning tips. Really great stuff because this is a more complicated than normal RV trip to plan. You gave us a lot of information on the ferry including traveling with dogs on the ferry, which would be, again, invaluable to somebody who wants to bring their dogs uh, to Newfoundland. And it's Newfoundland. I think I've mispronounced it several times along the way. I'm going to do my best to get it right tonight. Now, just tell us where we left off in terms of your travels 
on episode one. And then let's like connect and flow right into episode two of your epic road trip to Newfoundland. Sure. So last time we talked a lot about the West Coast, uh, especially Grossmore National Park. And then I think we were going to pick up when we started to head east on the Transatlantic Highway. So we're going to kind of head into the central part of the province, which I would imagine some people blast through or don't get to at all. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, if they're going to pick sort of one area to focus on, will either do St. John's and maybe the Bonavista Peninsula, or they'll stick with the Gross Morn side of things. Um, but there's definitely some stuff you don't want to miss if you if you have time to get to it in the in the middle and that sort of north central coast. Okay, so you loved Fogo Island. I hope I'm saying it correctly. I, and that almost didn't happen, right? So tell us, you know, what were you thinking there, and why did you make the decision to go, and what did you love about it? Right. So with kid activities and schedules and all of that, we kind of changed things around a bunch of times. And Fogo's kind of divisive. If you ask people where you should go in Newfoundland, some people say, oh, you know, I could take it or leave it. And some people love it. Um, so it is the thing that we kind of considered cutting out a couple of times, but we're really glad we made it because we were among the people who love it. Um, I don't know why it's controversial or less popular. I think maybe it's got that kind of rocky, barren landscape. Uh, which we found really beautiful and striking, but some people maybe are looking for a little more greenery. I don't know, but uh, we really loved it. And also, I think if you have time to hike, then you're going to enjoy it more than if you're just kind of driving through because it's very much, we thought all of Newfoundland was a hiking destination, but Fogo even more than other places. You really want to get out there and see and do the hikes and get off the road. So Gretchen, you're saying that your family loves rocky, desolate, windswept places filled with arcane history. I guess that's what I'm saying. I will take like a cold, rocky beach over a hot day in the sand any day. I don't know just how I, I am. I mean, for goodness sake, you left Georgia and made it all the way up here, right? So you really do, you are attracted to this kind of landscape in some profound way. Yeah, for um, sure. So anything else that we need to know about Fogo Island or hiking on Fogo Island? Sure. So you're going to be looking at another ferry ride to get to Fogo Island. It's an island off an island. So, but it's much less involved than the ferry to Newfoundland. Uh, it's about 45 minutes. And I think we paid under $100 round trip Canadian, including taking the RV. So it's, you know, not a big expedition. It's, it's a quick ferry ride. Um, and incidentally, you can bring your dogs up on the deck with you on the ferry to Fogo if that's something you didn't like about the ferry to Newfoundland, you can bring them. They, they can't go inside, but you can have them up on the deck on the Fogo ferry. So that's kind of kind of a nice feature. Um, so the only place really to stay, the only campground on Fogo is Brimstone Head RV Park, which is another one of these Lions Club run um, RV parks. We talked about another one of those on the western side of the island. Uh, very much no frills. It's a parking lot. You're really tightly packed in, but you're staring out at the ocean in your tightly packed in spot. Uh, my husband would say this was one of his favorite campgrounds ever, despite the complete lack of amenities, because we were, you know, sitting next to our RV and looking out at the ocean with several icebergs and just watching the icebergs from day to day move across the water. And Gretchen's provided some awesome photos that I have in the blog post over at the RVAtlas.com. So you can see photos of, I believe, of this campground and a lot of the things that she's talking about. And it's a really, it's a standalone guest blog post by Gretchen. So if you're missing anything here because you're driving or whatever, don't worry, it's all at the RVAtlas.com. So after that really pretty amazing looking campground, and it, it did look amazing in the photos, 
you went in search of even more icebergs, correct? We did. So we did our, our, our hiking on Fogo and ate some places there and had a great time. And you don't need forever in Fogo. We were there two nights and that was, I think, plenty. And then we drove over to Twillingate, which is, we probably did it a little backwards. It, you will actually, if you're coming west to east, come to Twillingate before Fogo. But they're only about an hour apart, the Fogo Ferry and Twillingate. And it's just a little town um, that's known for icebergs and whale watching. And uh, we stayed here at Dildo Run Provincial Park. That's that's what it's called. Um, I didn't name it. but um, And it's a lovely provincial park, but very, very buggy. So because it is kind of inland a little bit and back in the woods. So we had a lovely wooded site, but we didn't enjoy it as much as we might have because the mosquitoes... Uh, were there before us and they they weren't giving it up so uh, but in Twillingate uh, we kind of got caught in a storm so we didn't didn't get to do a lot of hiking but they have a great system of trails called the rock cut trails that everyone raves about so that's something to look into there Um, we went there's a lighthouse there that's kind of got a cool unusual shape they say it's shaped like a milk bottle and you can go up in that and um, that's where we saw the most icebergs were from that area. You have to drive way up this big hill to the lighthouse. And then there's tons of giant icebergs right off the shore there. And uh, then we, the other, oh, the Wooden Boat Museum. My husband really loved the Wooden Boat Museum because they have a guy there who's actually building a boat. Like they build one and then they auction it off um, or raffle it off, I guess. Um, And then they just start building another one. And so like every six months or a year, they're building a new boat. And he spent probably half an hour talking to this guy about every detail of the wooden boat building process. In your notes, I was trying to read in between the lines and see like, if like you were annoyed at him, like, hurry up, Dave, like, let's go or, oh, Dave's so adorable. He wants to know every single thing he can learn about these wooden boats. Like, was it enough already, Dave? Or were you like, oh, Dave's charming. He wants to learn about wooden no, boats. No, it was totally fine. Dave can talk to the, And the boat guy had a great Newfoundland accent. So I didn't mind just, I, I wasn't that interested in, you know, how long it took to sand down the boat, but I could have listened to his accent all day. So it was fine. And then we did get into some arcane uh, history. History, what... The, the, the interpretation center. I'm not even going to bother to try and pronounce that. Yes. The Beothic interpretation center. And actually they did tell us there, she said, well, we were taught in school to say Beothic, but, but there's other ways to say it. But then she didn't elaborate on what the other ways were. So Beothic apparently, or anything will work, but yeah, so that's um, a provincial historic site that uh, details the history of the Beothic people who were the the indigenous people before Europeans came to Newfoundland, and then they didn't survive long. Their culture didn't survive long uh, after Europeans came. So it's uh, interesting, you know, they've had to piece together things from from oral accounts and from archaeology. Um, but it's a really interesting uh, site, and you can go out and actually see where they did the archaeological dig. So it's a cool place to stop by. Quick stop. Okay, so are we ready to make the big leap and head to eastern Newfoundland, or did you have anything else you wanted to wrap up about that stop on the trip? Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, I could talk forever, but I think we've <laughs> covered the basics at least, yeah. Okay, so in a second, we're going to come back to the show, and Gretchen's going to take us to the city of St. John's and really give us a really great run-through of some of the best things to do there. And more. We're going to go even beyond St. John's. But before we do that, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bears Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. 
Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides, tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit JellystonePark.com. That's JellystonePark.com. And please, don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial and Boxy Colonial on the road to great blogs that uh, Gretchen has worked on for many years. And I love saying their names, by the way. And we are in a two-part series, an epic two-part series on Gretchen's road trip to Newfoundland. And we are in part two. This is the second podcast. Last one was last week. And now we are finally heading uh, east to St. John's. So, and a lot of people, that's only the only place they go. So Gretchen, give us just an overview of this wonderful sounding city. So St. John's is the capital of Newfoundland, and it is by far the biggest city. Uh, but that's not saying a whole lot because it's just under 100,000 people in St. John's proper. There's, you know, a big metro area too. And then the next biggest city is Cornerbrook, which I think has about 20,000. So there's a big difference. Um, this, I think they call it like town and not town, basically, if you're talking about the island of Newfoundland. So and most of the population lives around there. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a great city. It's um, pretty compact, walkable in that downtown area. It has a really beautiful harbor area. I mean, it's a working harbor, so it's very commercial, but it's still pretty to look at. And there's a lot of history there. I think it was first settled certainly in the 1500s, maybe even, I don't know. It's very, it's one of the oldest cities in North America. So there's tons of history, um, tons of natural beauty, because you don't have to go far before you're not in the city anymore. And we just really enjoyed it. It's a really charming city. It sounds like there's an awful lot to do for a city of this size in terms of, you know, family activities and cultural activities. So you've got an awesome hit list of some of your favorite things. You guys got a lot in. So run through some of your your personal highlights from St. John's. Sure. So uh, Signal Hill is probably... Most people will put that right up at the top of their list of things to do in St. John's. And we were there a week, so we we did a lot of stuff and we won't have time to talk about it all. But um, so Signal Hill is, um, up as you as the name implies, up on a hill and it's got a big military history. And it was um, going back to. They don't call it colonial days, but. Um, I don't know, what would you call it in Canada? Pre our Revolutionary War days, you know, it's been around forever. And then in World War II, it had a history. So there's a great visitor center there that'll take you through all of that history and has kind of a cool multimedia presentation that's really well done. And then you can either drive all the way up to the very top of the hill, or there's a short but steep trail that will take you up there. And there are great views of downtown St. John's and the harbor there. 
And then you can climb up the Cabot Tower, which is what's at the very top of the hill. Um, Marconi, I think the first wireless signal was received from this one. I feel like there's like Marconi sites all over Ireland and the Northeast, but um, this is one of them. So, um, and you know, again, just really great views. One trail that we did not get to do there that's really well known is the North Head Trail. And um, it's one of those, if you look up pictures of it, you can see people like chains on the side of a cliff and you're like holding onto the chains over the ocean. And so my 10 year old's a little bit scared of heights and we decided it wasn't a good thing to attempt with him, but it was reluctantly that we let that one go. That one's very popular and looks like a great hike to do. You're covering so much here, but you're, it seems like you are returning again and again to doing some serious hiking. In, in Newfoundland. Is is that the case? I mean, is this like a hiker's paradise in terms of those, you know, rocky coastal types of hikes that I love so much from places like Acadia? Uh, is is it a great destination for hiking? And are your kids all still on board with that? Uh, we definitely thought it was. And my older kids are always up for a hike. And my 10-year-old is sometimes up for a hike. So um, we did a lot of, we did a ton of hikes. There's a lot of short hikes where you can still see great stuff. Um, and then there's longer hikes. I mean, we did some hikes up to, you know, in the six mile range, but not like super difficult. So it's really accessible as a hiking destination. And there are also, I mean, there are plenty of people who go there and don't hike. We saw a lot of tour buses, a lot of older people who, you know, get out, look at the lighthouse and get back on. So I'm sure you could have a great trip if you're not up for hiking too. But for us, hiking was a big part of the experience. Okay. Anything else on Signal Hill or should we go to the rooms? Well, just right next to Signal Hill or on the hill, I guess, there's Johnson Geo Center, which is a, a small science museum that's kind of carved into the side of the hill. The walls on the inside are the rock. So um, that's a good quick stop, especially if you have kids. And there are some Newfoundland and Labrador dog statues right outside that my kids really wanted to make sure that we saw and posed with. So you definitely want to visit the Newfoundland dog and his friend, the Labrador, while you're there. And I believe we have a picture of Gretchen posing with these with these I dogs did. in the blog post. I, the room sounds really cool. Is this a is this a must see or is this a rainy day activity? Tell us about the rooms. I would definitely see the rooms if you just do a couple of things in uh, St. John's. I would make the rooms one of them. It's a really just amazing museum. It's got it's one of those museums that's kind of all purpose. It's got history and then natural history and then several art galleries. And we spent probably most of our time, we went right up to the top floor, which is where the, the history of Newfoundland and Labrador is. And it's just a huge exhibit that's just so many artifacts and so much just fascinating history of the indigenous people and the um, Europeans who came over and just, and, you know, you'll learn all about the Cod Moratorium. Um, and then there's lots of hands-on activities for kids too. So my 10-year-old was not bored there. I don't know. I sent you a picture. I'm not sure if that made the cut, but of him. It did. And he looked super engaged. I am yeah. not remembering exactly what he was looking at, but that picture is in the blog post and he looked like enraptured with whatever he was doing. He is, he is gutting a stuffed cod with like a wooden knife. And it's interestingly the second time in our travels that he has had the occasion to gut a stuffed cod. He did it in Nova Scotia too, several years ago. So he knows all about it. How many 10 year olds can say that? Right. Take us to Cape Spear. So Cape Spear is about 20 minutes, I guess, south of St. John's. And you'll hear a lot about how this is the first place you can see the sunrise in North America. Um, you know, just like in Acadia, what is it? Cadillac, Cadillac Mountain, Mountain for, yeah. for the United States. So for North America, it's Cape Spear. We did not make it there for the sunrise. 
uh, but we did get there. I do recommend getting there early because the parking lot fills up pretty early, but it's uh, just a historic lighthouse there. And you can just go up and see the easternmost point in North America and tour the, the historic lighthouse. And it's um, incredibly foggy, um, apparently just all the time. So it's sort of interesting. Pack a, you know, rain gear. It's wet there. Was there fog throughout your trip or did you do okay in, in all the other locations? No, I mean, it, there is fog. I think they say when it's like foggy and cold, they say, oh, that's iceberg weather. So it's to make it seem like a good thing. There were a lot of foggy days, but it definitely wasn't foggy every day. But we did talk to someone who works at Cape Spear and he said, yeah, no, it's always foggy. Okay. Anything else on Cape Spear? Uh, you might want to, while you're, if you're go to Cape Spear, not far away is the mini aquarium in Petty Harbor. And it is mini, like M-I-N-I-M-I-N. Yes. Right. That's right. A very small aquarium. And um, my vegetarian son really liked this place because it's a catch. They get them all at the beginning of the season and then they release them all, all the animals there at the end of the season back into the ocean. So he really approved of that. And they have a big touch tank. And it's just it's fun for for younger kids, especially. But my 17 year old was probably the biggest fan of it. Oh, my God, there's so much to do here. How about the Newman Wine Vaults? I, I can see why you chose to stay for a week. I think that was probably a smart move on your part. Tell us about the Newman Wine Vaults. So there are three provincial historic sites in downtown St. John's. And we had a pass, so we saw all of them. But I wanted to just pick my favorite for to talk about. And it was probably Newman Wine Vaults. It is just right downtown. And this is, there was a family that did, that made port wine. Um, and somehow they'll tell you the story, but by accident kind of discovered that it aged really well in these um, kind of caves. They're in the downtown area. So you can go and see, it's only a couple of years ago that they've opened them up and restored them, but you can go in there and see the wine vaults and get a tour of it. And they will give you a sample of the port too, if you are 19 or over, as is the drinking age in Canada or Newfoundland at least. I did not know that. How about Bowering Park? I think it's Bowering Park, but oh, I'm not I think even you're right there. then. <laughs> Don't be afraid to correct me. I have not been here. So we wanted to do a picnic that day. So we picked Bowring Park because we heard it was uh, a very pretty urban park. And it was. There's lots of statues, including a Peter Pan statue, which is if you if anyone's been to Kensington, I think it's Kensington Gardens. There's a Peter in London. There's a Peter Pan statue there. And this is a replica of that by the same sculptor. And there's a like sad, tragic backstory about a child lost at sea. But it's a really charming statue with like little animals carved into it. And you can just, it's a very pretty park just to walk around in. And of course, some religious history. Uh, tell us about the two cathedrals that you toured or visited. So they are both cathedrals to Saint, of St. Saint John the Baptist, because it's St. John's. Um, the Catholic one, I think, is the more popular one for people to visit. We only had time to do one. And uh, my son Milo said he wanted the more Gothic one. So I looked it up. And the Anglican one is the more Gothic one. So we went to that one. And it was uh, really beautiful. And it uh, was built in the late 1800s. And then it burned down just a few years after they finished it. And then they rebuilt it exactly the same again. But there's some interesting exhibits about uh, the fire and, you know, what survived and pictures of it after the fire. Did the city have a, a European feel to it? Because I'm starting to get those vibes. Yeah, for sure. And I think more Irish than anything else. I think they it, it had a, a big history of Irish immigration and you can hear a lot of Irish music in the pubs and, you know, the accent, the Newfoundland accent is very reminiscent of an, you know, it's it's sort of unique to Newfoundland, but 
reminiscent more of an Irish accent, I think, than anything else. So there's definitely that Irish influence is very much there, especially in St. John's. Okay. How about eating in St. John's? What are some picks for food and drink there, things that you guys enjoyed? So a nice thing about St. John's is you can get food that's not cod, unlike some parts of Newfoundland. So a little more variety if you're tired of, of seafood, um, although you can certainly get that there too. One sort of um, interesting pick we found was the St. John's Farmer's Market, which is open on the weekends. And they have, uh, I said it was kind of short on farmers because they have a really short growing season there, very rocky soil. So you won't find a lot of fresh produce there. There's some, but there is a food court there with really interesting uh, selection of food from local vendors. I think one of my kids got um, Nigerian food. Another one got Thai food. So if you want something a little different, that's a great place to go. Uh, we There's a big craft beer scene. I feel like there's a big craft beer scene sort of everywhere in North America now, but also in Newfoundland. So the Kitty Vitty Brewery is a great place to go. Um, they have food there. They have good beer. And it's also in a, a really cute little, it's it's in St. John's, but it's a little separate from downtown. And it's a really cute little fishing village right on the water. So you can sit on the deck and, and look out over the water while you eat your fish and chips and drink your beer. Um, and I, I love cod, by the way. So I, I, I can't get enough of it, to tell you the truth, frankly. We're big seafood fans around here <laughs> at the Jersey Shore. Um, any other recommendations for food or for cod? So for uh, they say the best fish and chips in Newfoundland is at the Duke of Duckworth, which is right downtown. And I, I did not order my own fish and chips here, but I tried my son's, and it was indeed very good. If you've ever seen... Um, Doyle, what's it? Republic of Doyle is a like this detective procedural that's filmed and, and set in St. John's. And um, apparently, I've only watched one episode of it, but apparently that's like the local hangout on that show. So it's a very local color kind of place if you're looking for that and some fish and chips. Oh, I love that kind of show. Did you only watch one episode because you didn't like it or did you just sort of not like not get, you know, give I it a chance? I want to try it again. We watched it before we went. Now that I've been there, I'd like to try it again. I'm not, it's not my kind of show, but you know, it was fine. It wasn't bad. I just, it was not something we chose to return to, but maybe now that we've been there, I want to go and try to spot the Duke of Duckworth on there. Okay, cool. So where did you, or what's like your top campground pick? Where did you guys stay while you were here? So I, this might be the only campground pick available right in the city. We stayed at Pippi Park Campground. Uh, I think it's run by the city. Um, it's a public campground and it's, it's huge. It's over 200 sites. And I think they get a lot of weekenders. They're local as well as a lot of travelers. Um, and it's uh, just really nice. Um, this is an interesting thing I'd never seen before. The most deluxe sites here are like in a big grassy field. Those are the only ones that come with Wi-Fi, and it was amazing Wi-Fi. Um, which I've, so I've never seen like a site, like pick your site based on the Wi-Fi before, but um, we did get that site because we just kind of wanted like the easy pull through. And I didn't even realize the Wi-Fi was going to be so good because, you know, people say there's good Wi-Fi and there's not really, but this place it was lightning fast, as good as my Wi-Fi at home. And that was nice after um, a few weeks of not having much internet at all. So. so you're able to catch up on some things going on back home right. and whatever yeah. it might be. And this again was a pretty affordable campground correct i mean that's yeah. a theme here through these two episodes you guys did not spend i mean you spent a lot of money on gas getting there right but you didn't sure. spend a lot of money on campgrounds right i mean i think this was i think we spent around 50 canadian so you know 40-ish us uh because we did get that super deluxe site so um and it was that was full hookups i'm pretty sure 
Yes, it definitely was. Full hookups and great Wi-Fi for $50 Canadian a night. Did you um, have any trouble booking sites? To I mean, how early? Just I know every campground is probably a little bit different, but when were you booking sites? Like how early were you booking sites and did you have any trouble or any stress? So we found we really couldn't book sites before late winter, early spring. Like things just didn't open up. Um, but we we tried to book everything by early spring just because I feel better when I'm going on such a long trip to know that all the gaps are filled in. But most places seem to think we were booking early. I think we when we stayed at Terra Nova, which we haven't gotten to yet, but that's uh, one of the national parks. Um, that one, I think I didn't get exactly the site type I wanted because I missed the the first day it was open, but I still got a site there. If you want to stay in Gross Morn at one of the campgrounds inside the park, that you're probably going to want to get on right away as soon as they open up. But most of them, if you're a couple, you know, most of them you could come in, you could call them the night before, but even some of the more popular ones, a couple of months in advance is going to be enough for almost everywhere. I think if I remember correctly, that the provincial parks don't even open their reservations until the calendar year to to the it, beginning of the year. You can't book the year before. I think in Newfoundland, it's even spring for provincial parks. I think that sounds right. it, was, yeah. it might have been March for some of them. So different than here. So different than here. Okay. Anything else about Pippi Park Campground before we take a quick break and come back and head out of St. John's? Um, no, I mean, not a lot. There's a lot of trails there. So, you know, but it was just, it's uh, about 10 minute drive from downtown St. John. So it's a great location and a really nice campground. Awesome. Right. We're going to come back in a second. We're going to take a three hour drive from St. John's and head to the Bonavista Peninsula. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at RV Snappad. Meet the world's only permanent jack pad. RV snap pads attach permanently to your RV leveling jack so you don't have to carry around blocks of wood or plastic blocks to level your towable or motorized RV. Simply snap them on one at a time and you're all set. RV snap pads go on in seconds and provide a lifetime of stability on the road. They are built for wanderers, adventurers, and vacationers just like you. Snappad also now makes non-permanent leveling accessories for plastic levelers and buckets. They make everything you need to have the best leveling experience possible in your RV. We added RV snap pads to our travel trailer two years ago and love their durability, design, and functionality. They also make setting up and breaking down camp faster and easier. Finally, Snappad recently collaborated with Camco Manufacturing to release the most durable, rugged, and stable scissor jack stabilizer available today. Head over to rvsnappad.com and use their Submit Your Rig tool to answer a few quick questions, and they will find you the perfect set of snap pads for your towable or motorized RV. Join the RV Snappad revolution today. To find out more, visit rvsnappad.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial and Boxy Colonial on the Road. And we are kind of nearing the end of this epic road trip to Newfoundland. Uh, and I want to go so badly after hearing all of this. St. John sounds amazing. Um, if I can't get up there in an RV, I'd consider like flying in and just doing St. John's. But you actually then road tripped out of St. John's and headed to the Bonavista Peninsula, which I'm getting the sense that's a very popular destination. So tell us about that, please. Yeah, we love the Bonavista Peninsula. Um, it's a small place, but there was just tons of kind of Newfoundland's greatest hits, I think I said in the blog post, um, packed into the small area. So um, I unfortunately do not have a great campground recommendation for the Bonavista Peninsula, 
because ours was not somewhere I would wholeheartedly recommend. And it seemed like everywhere I looked at, there were several to pick from, but everywhere I looked at kind of had some drawbacks. If we were going again, I might try Loxton Path Provincial Park, mostly because it's really, it has pretty good reviews and it's really centrally located. The downside of that, the thing that kept us from it was um, talk about the dirt road to get to the campground being really bad. And I thought if it's bad by Newfoundland standards, then I don't know if I want to mess with it. I keep thinking that the secret hero of this trip is your RV. (laughs) This is a long, long road trip to a place with really bad roads um, over two different ferry rides and the RV performed, um, which is always great to hear. And our 20-year-old E350 van, I think, needs a lot of credit, too. Oh, that's great. So the van also also did the job. The van is hanging in there. It turned 20 this year. Oh, my so, gosh. And you've yeah. actually done a podcast on towing with vans, and that, that goes back a ways. Um, and, you, you know, you have a larger family, so the van just makes sense. I mean, there's not a lot of people that do that. But you guys, it's really worked for you, right? Yeah, um, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll try to link in the show notes to that episode from way back. That um, that still gets a lot of traffic, actually. Okay, so anything else about this part of your trip to the Bonavista Peninsula? Yeah, so the things we saw on the Bonavista Peninsula, um, the Skirwink Trail is a really famous trail. It's probably the single most famous hike uh, in Newfoundland. It made like some list and I don't know, travel and leisure somewhere years ago, one of the 35 most beautiful hikes. Um, so it's just a really pretty hike, a 5.3 kilometer loop. So I guess around four miles. Um, and it's just, again, just, you can see sea stacks, you can see whales. A lot of times we didn't see whales. We were a little late for icebergs, but just all of those, you're up on a cliff overlooking the ocean. It's really beautiful. It is, um, there's like steep steps and it can get really slippery. So be aware. Like my, my mother-in-law was with us on this one and accidentally wore the wrong shoe. She had kind of like these like outdoor slipper things on and that did not work well. So make sure you are prepared with your, with your gear, but um, it's definitely worth doing. And then right next to the Skirwing Trail, after you finish your hike, Port Rexton Brewing Company was my favorite brewery in Newfoundland. And we went to quite a few, so that's saying a lot. And it's just really, really cute decorating. Uh, The beer was good. And then right outside, there's a permanent food truck set up called Oh My Cheeses, which sells kind of fancy, like gourmet grilled cheese, where you can get all kinds of weird things in your grilled cheese. But I just got bacon and cheese, and that was fancy enough for me, but it was really good. I have to ask, you know, you said this was maybe your favorite trip of all time. Um, what about the in-laws? Did they did they love this trip like you guys did? Was everybody sort of in, in unison about this just being an all-time great trip? I think so. I haven't asked them where it falls in their, you know, list of top trips. Um, I think they were, it was a little overwhelming uh, for them because, the, you know, the planning, you know, they were not in an RV, but they had to fly from like Boston to Toronto to St. John's and they got in at three in the morning. So, I mean, and the whole thing was a little logistically challenging and um but i think they enjoyed it like a a week later we talked to them they said yeah we're telling we're showing everyone our pictures from the newfoundland trip so i gather that means that they enjoyed it okay how about the little village of trinity trinity is a really cute village again on the bonavista peninsula um there's a lot of historic buildings there that you can tour you can buy one ticket and see all of them we did not get to all of them because our main uh objective there was to see the trinity pageant which is this this local theater company the rising tide theater company puts on this pageant i think it's twice a week in in season 
And they have a troop of actors who go around, they take you around to different spots in the town and then put on little sketches in different locations about the history of Trinity going back, you know, hundreds of years. And sometimes there's singing and sometimes there's not. And that's the kind of thing you read about it and you're like, it sounds like it could be cool or it could be a little bit disastrous and embarrassing. And it was not. It was very professional, very well done. We really enjoyed it. Disastrous and embarrassing is worth my money too. I'll, I'll, <laughs> are you kidding me? A, a different kind of fun. Yeah. But that was not what it was. It was very well done. Okay. I know. I am dying to talk about the Elliston Puffin viewing site and Gretchen's Puffin photo that she sent me was like totally adorable. I used it as the featured image for the show notes for this blog post. So go to the rvatlas.com and just, just to look at her puffin photos, adorable. Um, so tell me about the Elliston puffin viewing site. So the Elliston, there's a little town called Elliston. It's out on the very tip of the Bonavista Peninsula. And um, it's known for root cellars, which I didn't even talk about, but there's a bunch of root cellars there and then puffins. And they have a puffin viewing site, which is completely free. They have a box there for donations, but the town maintains the site. And it's just, there's a little rocky island where all North Atlantic puffins, like thousands of them, come uh, every summer um, to nest. And then you can walk out a very short trail, like a five-minute walk from the parking area to uh, an area, like a little peninsula right across from that island. And the puffins, you can see hundreds of puffins or thousands, I don't know, I didn't count them, over on the rocky island, but they'll fly over to where people can go and just visit you. And they are um, curious little birds, and they will get just a few feet away from you. And there were um, you know, a lot of, a good many people there, not like hundreds of people, but a good many people there. And they still were not worried about coming over and they'll fly and land and stare at you for a while and collect some plants for their nests and whatever, and then just fly back. And it was just completely delightful. We were probably there 45 minutes, an hour. And then we came back another day because my father-in-law said, why don't we go back and see the puffins again? And I said, sure, we should do that. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of pictures of the puffins. And people are like, oh, you must have a really good camera. And I'm like, well, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a telephoto lens, but it's not like some giant lens that's designed for wildlife. It's just, they were just that close. And I've seen lots of pictures just with people's cell phones that are also amazing. How many puffin pictures did you take, Gretchen? Confess. I have no idea how many I took. I edited 56 on the first day. So a lot got deleted. And then we went back and, and there's fewer on the, the, the next day's Puffin viewing was not quite as great, but there's probably a couple dozen more from Puffin Day 2. Well, thank you for the gorgeous Puffin photo. It, it truly made me smile all day. So anything else about the Puffin viewing site or do you want to move into town? Um, no, oh, well, we read that um, mornings are the best time to see the puffins because you don't want to go all the way to the tip of the Bonavista Peninsula and not see puffins. So we read morning is best. This was um, a day we did not get moving super early. So it was probably like 11 o'clock by the time we got there. We had great puffin viewing. This was in uh, mid-July. So sort of all summer they're around until I think early September. And then they, they fly back out to the ocean. Um, and we went back in the afternoon on a clearer day, it was a very foggy day the first day, and they seemed to like the foggy weather best because it was a little a little less puffiny the second day. But um, I mean, our experience was you could always see some puffins, but probably if you want the best viewing, either morning or also they say sort of closer to sunset is is when they're they're most active and most likely to be hopping around. I felt like if we had sat there long enough, they would have hopped into our laps. But they're very um, curious birds. Sounds like an absolute trip highlight, right? Yeah, for sure. 
All right, take us into the town of Bonavista. Okay, that's probably, I guess it's the biggest town on the peninsula. And so you'll have a little more as far as restaurants go. For the most part, these are tiny little towns. Um, we saw there's a lot of historic sites here too. Um, there's the Ryan premises, which is where you can learn a lot about fishing in the, over the, the history of fishing and cod fishing in the area. Um, probably this was our favorite lighthouse on Newfoundland was the Cape Bonavista Lighthouse. And there are puffins there too, but not nearly as many of them. I think that's where the tour buses go to see puffins because it's a little more accessible. Um, but it's just a really pretty lighthouse and you can tour that. And then we saw the Matthew Legacy, which is a recreation of um, John Cabot's ship. John Cabot was the first European, I guess, to come to Newfoundland. So they made a replica of his ship. And the Queen came when they when they first built the ship and made a speech about it. Um, and now it's kind of interesting. It's in this building that was supposed to be just for winter storage, but they've, it's had a lot of damage and they don't have the money to uh, make repairs to the ship. So it's just in this building all the time now. So um, it's interesting to see, but it's, it's a little sad that it's not out on the water uh, in its original glory. And he first visited in 1497. When you talk about some really rich history here. Right. I mean, you know, Newfoundland's sticking way out there. So it's kind of the first thing you run into, I guess, if you're coming from, from Northern Europe. That's true. It sticks yeah. out a lot, heck of a lot further than the East Coast of the United States. Right. Uh, do you want to take us to the Ragged Rocks Gastropub? Yeah, you might want to go here after you see some puffins because Elliston is right near Bonavista. They're about 15 minutes apart, I think. Um, we actually went back here twice because the place we were trying to go was closed uh, the second day. But um, yeah, it's just a nice little Ragged Rocks gastropub. Um, and they've got a little bit of um, beyond seafood selections. They had they have moose burgers and they had, um, you know, some good a good selection of local beers and that kind of thing. So it's just a nice place if you're looking I love for your, somewhere. I, I love your family's travel style with how long and how epic these trips are. And I, I just two times during this podcast, you said we went back again and just that, that kind of that slow travel that an RV really works well for, as opposed to flying into somewhere and flying out because we take these longer trips in our RVs. And I think that you can almost feel like you become like a native of a, of a place or, or that you've lived there or something. I mean, did you, did you feel that way at the end of this trip that you had really kind of sucked the life out of, out of Newfoundland and almost become like a citizen of this province, at least for this, this short window of time? It's funny. We met a, a couple from Ontario and the guy uh, was very excited about the exchange rate. And he said, you guys should buy a vacation house here. You could get one for like a dollar. Say, here's a greenback. So um, we didn't do that, but I, I was tempted. But yeah, I definitely like that kind of travel where you can really get to know a place more than you could. I mean, obviously I could go back and I could spend five more weeks there easily and see and not repeat anything. I mean, it's huge and there's so much to do. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel like we got to know it more than we than we would have obviously on a on a short trip. I've always said on this podcast for years that I always like a second trip back to a location better than the first trip. Our second trip to Acadia was better than our first trip. Our second trip to Great Smoky Mountains National Park was better than our first trip because you know the landscape and you can kind of dive into all the things you love and explore new things as well. Now you did go to another national park, correct? So tell us about that. Yeah, I feel kind of bad. Terra Nova's getting tacked here on the end. It felt like that on our trip a little bit too, but um, it's Newfoundland's second national park. Well, it's actually the first one that was founded, but it's the other national park that's not Grossmorn, and it's it's very close to the Bonavista Peninsula. 
Um, and it's much more kind of wooded, um, not out on the open ocean as much. I mean, it, the ocean kind of juts into where Terra Nova is, but it's right on the Trans-Canada Highway, like the the highway literally runs through the park boundary. So it's very accessible, very easy to get to. And I think a lot of people go there uh, from St. John's for weekend trips. The campground was very busy. Um, we enjoyed it. It was not the best weather we had. It was kind of hot, but we did the um, coastal trail, which runs actually from the, the big campground there, which is Newman Sound Campground, which is where we stayed. You can take the coastal trail right from Newman Sound Campground to the visitor center, um, I think it's about three miles each way. And it's a nice hike that kind of dips into the woods and then back along the coast. And there's some actual sandy beaches there, a little bit sandy, rocky sandy. And um, then the Discovery Center, the Visitor Center is really nice there. They've got a giant touch tank for kids and um, pretty views and all of that. So it was a, a nice little stop um, at the end of our trip. And where did you where did you stay there? Where did you camp? That was Newman Sound Campground, which is in the National Park. Um, it's nice, big wooded sites. Um, I don't remember the, it's, it, uh, they did like a campfire program right at the campground at night that we went to see where some of the staff like do a sing along and there was free hot chocolate. So it was actually one of the nights when it was not really a great night for hot chocolate, but, um, if we'd been there a week earlier, it would have been great to have the hot chocolate. That sounds lovely. Was it, a, was it a lovely campground or was it just a place to park the no, road it was for the a, night? It was, a, it was a nice campground. It was a really bustling, big um, you can tell again, lots of lots of locals there who go there for their summer trip or for a weekend trip. Gretchen, I cannot thank you enough. We're going to come back in a second to wrap up the show. Uh, I've got one or two more questions for Gretchen, but before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Blackstone. The sound of bacon or burgers and steaks sizzling is the sound that you crave this summer. Blackstone is the original flat-top griddle with more than 9 million griddles sold. Blackstone is the way that America cooks in the great outdoors. You can cook everything you can on a traditional grill and a thousand things you can't. Want an incredible breakfast? How about lunch or dinner? The solid steel flat-top infuses the flavors. Pick the size and style that's right for your next camping trip. The 17-inch and 22-inch griddles are easy to store in your RV and still have the space to feed the hungriest army. There's even a portable Blackstone with an air fryer built in. Talk about variety. With Blackstone, you can cook anything, anytime, anywhere. They even make a portable pizza oven that you can bring camping. For outdoor cooking fun and flavor that you can't find anywhere else, go wherever griddles are sold or head on over to blackstoneproducts.com. And remember, if it's not a Blackstone, it's not a griddle. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are wrapping up an epic two-episode series with Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial and Boxy Colonial on the Road. Now, you made the claim, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is like your favorite trip ever. Um, and I just, I come to expect an epic road trip out of your family every summer and knowing you, you're maybe already planning for next summer. What's going to go down next summer to match this trip? Well, we actually, my, um, third, my 17 year old is a senior this year. So it's going to be kind of his graduation trip next summer. So we gave him a few choices and what he picked was Canadian, Canada again, Canadian cities. So he wants to see Toronto and Montreal, probably Quebec City and um, what's the other one? Ottawa. So like those four. And then I'm looking around to try to see what not city things uh, we can put in there too, but kind of a big Ontario, Quebec, 
loop is what we're thinking right now. And you're thinking RB for this, right? Yes. Yeah. And sure. and would would it be sort of racing up into Canada or would you be taking time in New York State or, or New England or whatever it may be? Uh, we're actually thinking of seeing, you'll know the name, the, the new national park, the West Virginia. Um, new River Gorge. New River Gorge for a couple of days on the way up because I think we can do a route that that will make sense for. So we would probably do that on the way up and then maybe D.C. for a few days on the way down because we've, I mean, we've been to D.C. several times, but we've had to cancel it. A couple of times so it's it's nice to hit that because it's always on the way if we're going up up or down the east coast well thank you for all of the the tips the tricks the travel highlights and for recalling all of it in um, so much detail i really felt like i was there it's very visually fascinating for me to listen to and just a reminder for everybody that gretchen did two guest blog posts as well on the rbatlas.com and everything we talked about is in there. I mean, maybe a couple little bunny trails we went down aren't in there, but all the, the key information that you would need to plan this trip is in there with some links to the national parks and the campgrounds and things like that. So Gretchen, thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to thervatlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground.